0: Thank you for downloading this podcast from Pardes, North America. This episode of the Pardes Parsha podcast features Rabbi Dr. Howard Marcos and Yiska Smith on Parshat Mishpatim. For the latest episode of the Parsha podcast, please visit almod.pardes.org. And now, Rabbi Dr. Howard Marcos and Yiska Smith. Shalom. Shalom. And welcome. This is the podcast for Parashat Mishpatim from Pardes, Institute of Jewish Studies. My name is Howard Marcos. I'm here with Iska Smith. And we're going to delve into a part of the book of Shemot, the book of Exodus, that deals with laws. And with God's help, we're going to look at it from two very different perspectives. So Yiska, I'm going to turn to you and ask you to present one perspective of how you see a pasuk, a verse, in the book of uh, Shemot, the book of Exodus, Parashat Mishpatim.
1: simcha and Shavua Tov, and Shalom to all the listeners. It's always exciting, and it's a source of blessing and gratitude to be with a colleague of mine who I learn from and share. It's a great opportunity. So I'd like to begin it's actually, a, it's one pasuk, it's one verse, part of one verse in Exodus 23, 7. And in Hebrew, medavar sheker tichak. So in English, it's translated as distance yourself from a lie. We learn that the only mitzvah in the Torah, where we are not only instructed, whether it is permitted or forbidden to us, We see that is forbidden. Don't lie elsewhere. But we are also instructed to stay far away from this transgression. And it's unique to this case. The commandment, mitavar sheket distance yourself from a lie, we see that nowhere else. Don't eat chazer, don't eat pig, for example. We don't see distance yourself from eating pork. And you can go through all the different prohibitive mitzvot, commandments. We don't see a corresponding distance yourself. That's a to-do. We actively distance ourselves. Interesting. I'd like to share a few insights and then I would be so excited if you would give me some of your um, feedback. One of my teachers, Reb Shalom Barat, Ivracha, may his memory be for a blessing, taught in one of the classes I was uh, blessed to attend he said, quoting Rob I would suggest that one of the greatest lies is that we are alone. He said, I think if we would always remember that we are never alone, we would never need to lie. Who are we in that uh, quote, Iska? Human beings. I mean, surely the commandment from the Torah is directed specifically to Jewish people. But in general, I look at the world today, in the Jewish world, outside the Jewish world, there was so much loneliness. So I, when I reflect back on his teaching, it's not coincidental that alongside the loneliness, there's a lot of polarity, there's a lot of uh, a sense of deception, manipulation it's a basic disrespect for the other because one, I would like to suggest, is operating from a survival instinctive mode. Uh And that's what happens when we feel, we don't feel the presence of the divine with us. So I have the whole world on my shoulders. And the P.S.S.N. Rebbe, Rebbe um, Kalanimous Kamas Shapira, who perished in the Holocaust, he teaches that in fact, the only reason people become so self-absorbed and that instinct to survive really takes precedence over the rest of their lives is they do feel alone. They feel that no one cares for them. So that's one aspect to that.
0: Okay. So Midvar Sheker Tirchak, distance yourself from lies, is saying in the understanding that you're bringing that we need to not accept it's a positive thing not to accept the lie that we are alone. Yes, that's right. Okay. That's right. And
1: it, what it does is it sharpens the sensitivity that regardless of who I'm engaging with, their essence and my essence are the same. Okay. There's another teaching from Rebzusha, the famous Rabbi Zusha, Rabbi Elimelech of Lezinsk's brother. I mean, what a pair. Uh, he said the following. He teaches that one word of lying makes you a stranger to God. It's like avodazara. Avodazara we translate as idol worship. But it can also, it's literally, it's not translated literally as idol worship. That's what it implies. Avodazara is when one's service becomes foreign. Like
0: my service to God is a stranger to me. So, I hear what you're saying, Yiska, that lying in the fact that the text is coming at it from two different standpoints intensifies the prohibition to lie even more. If I understand you I think, correctly. yeah, 100%. So then I'm going to ask you, how do you relate to the Midrash that comes with uh, the story of Abraham and Sarah being told that they're going to have a child? Okay. And in Breshit 18, we're told in verse 12 that Sarah, when she hears it, She says, how could I possibly have a child? My husband is so old. And then when God responds to this and goes to Avraham, God says, lemor." Ha'af umnam va'ani zakanti. God says to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh saying, shall I in truth bear a child as old as I am? And the rabbis tell us, for Shalom Bayit, she, the, God actually lies in order to say that Sarah said, I am old and not my husband is old. So I see from that that it's not even that the repetition of Midvar Shakir Tirchak is intensifying the lying, but rather the text is telling us, but if you have to lie once in a while, that's all right. Even the Kadosh Baruch Hu is going to tell a white lie once in a while for Shlom Bayit. Yiska, how do you respond to that? I
1: agree. I agree. Five stars. Yes, yes. And in fact, how I understand that Midrash, if the reason that God becomes a stranger to me if the reason that when I lie, my biggest lie is I feel independently alone and separated from God, okay. then what would, pro- what pro- would propel, what would inspire me to be honest is the presence of God. Therefore, I'm using the very presence of God to soften what could hurt another person's feelings. Through a lie? Th- well, through a lie. Yeah. How do I know that that's acceptable at times? Because God, according to the Midrash, right? God has told me so. However, I think the indicator here, which would allow me, and I love Chassidut, because Chassidut, many times from the Baal Shem Tov, the most important, whenever we make a decision within the realm, of of course, we have an acceptable halacha, how to walk in life. The other component to that is, where is my soul in this? And that's what the Baal Shem Tov introduced. Where is my soul in making sure I'm always right when it hurts another person? When I could stretch it a little, it's not my way of life. I save it for exceptions. For example, yes. uh, we know not only are we allowed, we're commanded yes. to go against the laws of keeping Shabbat to save a life. Well, God said, you have to keep the Shabbat. Except it doesn't say in the Pasuk Pikirach, no, that came right. through the oral Torah. This also comes through the, in the Midrash is the oral Torah. Yes. It helps us understand how to live with the mitzvot, where they do connect us rather than separate us. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's how I would see it.
0: Wow. Well. My brain is uh, exploding because your approach to the pasuk midvar sheker terchak, which is found, you should stay away from lying, which is found in our Torah portion of Mishpatim. Uh, your take is one that is just really uh, sharp, and it's it's uh, for me a challenge to try and take it in in the way that uh, you've presented it. So thank you very much. Oh,
1: you're welcome.
0: You're welcome. Let's try another angle. If you, I would like, la- okay. yes, please, please. Okay. Teach me, teach me. So I'm going to go back to the 18th century before the common era and introduce the code of Hammurabi. Hammurabi was a king. He considered himself, uh, in charge of a vast area of land in the ancient Near East, in Mesopotamia. And he, in his greatness, put together a law code that he put on a, a huge uh, area uh, of population. And there are those who believe that, and I'm quoting Professor David Wright of Brandeis University who wrote in 2009, he said, a close look at the laws of assault, specifically of assault recorded in our Parashat Mishpatim, our our section of, of Shmot of Exodus, demonstrates that the author knew the laws of Hammurabi and revise them to fit with Israelite legal and ethical conceptions. So what I mean by that, or what I understand from that, is that there are certain laws that we find in Parashat Mishpatim that seem to be connected in some way to those laws of Hammurabi. And I'd like to look at one of those comparisons and speak with you and, and discuss with you mm. how you let's also respond. Yeah, let's do that. So if we look at Exodus chapter twenty-one, verses twenty-two to twenty-seven, and okay. this is a well-known uh, information about that when if two men fight and one of them pushes a pregnant woman and a miscarriage results, but no other damage ensues, the one responsible shall be fined according as the woman's husband may exact, but the payment to be is to be based on reckoning. Um That's uh, the beginning of. That's the introduction to what is important in our discussion. If other damage ensues, if something else happens to the woman, the Torah tells us. nefesh, yad, yad, It goes on. But if other damage ensues, the penalty shall be life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise, so it's called in uh in uh scholarly work Lex Talionis that the uh, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, so is that Jewish in nature? Well, I suggest that we look for a moment at what's found in the laws of Hammurabi uh sections one ninety six to two o one this howard yes um when Avraham Avinu and Abraham
1: left his home, was that around the same time as this
0: code? Actually, the, there are those who date Avraham's uh, Lech Lecha okay. is going forth about the 18th century before the Common Era. So okay. it's out there. It's out there. And the there's a, a connection. We also were taught, uh, we learned that um, the code continued to be uh, taught and studied and observed by communities even to the 7th and 6th centuries before the Common Era, hundreds of years after it was uh, promulgated. Yep. So what does Hammurabi say? Listen to this. If a man put out the eye of another man, his eye shall be put out. Unbelievable. But now let's go a little bit further. If he breaks another man's bone, his bone shall be broken. If he puts out the eye of a freed man that's a slave who is set free, or break the bone of a freed man, he shall pay one gold mina. If he put out the eye of a man's slave or break the bone of a man's slave, he shall pay one half of its value. If a man knocks out the teeth of his equal, his teeth shall be knocked out. If he knocks out the teeth of a freedman, he shall pay one third of a gold mina. So what I understand from this is that we have the precursor to the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but there's more. And that is that in our Torah, that's all we have. That every human being, no matter their uh, uh, their level, no matter their caste, they are all in the same place that the punishment should be the same for everyone. Whereas in the Code of Hammurabi, it matters whether you are of yes. the uh, highest level of uh, caste or one of the lower, then it don't no, no longer holds eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. What it tells me is that the Kadosh Baruch Hu, or whoever gave us these laws, said, I need to humanize them a little bit more. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And so we have, yes, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, just like Hammurabi taught us. But the Jewish way is that everyone should be treated on an equal level. The, the the truth is that that's not 100% the case. Because if we go on in our parashat Mishpatim, look what happens when a slave-owning party, this is verse 26, strikes the eye of a slave, male or female, and destroys it. That person shall let the slave go free on account of the eye. So Yiska, once again, it's different than Hamurabi. And my read is that instead of paying and holding on to the slave, if you mistreat a slave and when we say slave i just want everyone to know that we're talking about indentured servitude. indentured servants. servitude is more Th- That's t- right. The person uh, uh robbed from the from the uh the uh, potential owner and as a result of not being able to pay back the amount that they stole, right. they go into right. indentured servitude in order to do that. It's right. not slavery as we've come to abhor. Right. It's an indentured servitude. So if that yep. happens, you don't just pay and then keep the person in their indentured servitude there to be let free. So in each of these cases, I see a move in our Torah to humanize what it is that was out there, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, lex talionis.
1: And I can, the way I would like to add to that, there's a direct connection to what I was sharing earlier, because when we say humanize, you know, the word "humanize that according to the values you and I live by, as Jews, we have a commitment in one way or another to the Torah values that have been transmitted from generation to generation in one form or another. So when we say "humanize," we know what we mean: that everyone is created equally, but Elokim, in the image of God. That's what we mean as Jews to humanize. Not everyone, though, would apply the same meaning. Interesting. So therefore, if I distance myself from lying, the big lie that I'm here all alone and there is no creator, the other lie that I need to distance myself is that I become, then God becomes a stranger to me, then you have a code like the code of Hammurabi. Very interesting. Wow. Think about that. I yeah. mean, really, it, it's... I know, I actually, as you're teaching me this, this is, this is, I'm downloading this live. I didn't realize to what degree his code not only suggests a caste system, the value of a life, but its basis denies our very core value that we were all created equally in the image of God. Once you take the image of God out of the conversation, well, then humanity can mean anything.
0: Yep. I hear what you're saying. And I think that the motivation of Hammurabi was one that included his, and a lot of kings did this, his seeing himself also as a a divine being, as a God small g. And I believe in many places in our Torah that the text is there and it introduces a twist in what existed out there in the ancient Near East that made God front and center And made it, it made it an understanding of the God who is caring and compassionate Mm. and eil harachamim. And this is something that I have found to be incredible that we're not denying that there was influence in the ancient Near East. Yes. We are accepting that the divine took it over and said, I want this to be a part of the way you monotheists, you who believe in the one God, Treat other human being b'tzalel yeah. Elokim, in the image yeah, of that right, God. Right, right, and the and
1: another dimension here that's also affecting this uh, significantly is that there's besides justice, there's also compassion. You know, we look at the two people yes. who led us through the midbar through the wilderness, Moshe Rabbeinu and Aharon HaKohen. Uh The tradition teaches us that Moshe was Rabbeinu. He was our first Rebbe. He was the teacher and the teacher is teaching what is right, what is wrong, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. Aron Karhen, who was the first big um, high priest, he modeled compassion. And one example in the Midrash where, where we learn about his compassion was that in the laws of the skin affliction, the skin um, affliction called Surat, that only the Karhen was able to give the final verdict, not a doctor. Only the Karhen. Right. Why the Karhen? We ask. Because the Karhen, who came from Aharon HaKarhen, the original, was, because we know it, it's through Lashon Hara, uttering slanderous talk or okay. gossip. The Karhen, because the Karhen is coming from a place of compassion, can say to the person, Holy One, we both know what's going on here. You Atserat, You've committed Lashon Hara. Let me teach you how to do the Teshuvah. It's more than just the prescription. It's more than just the prognosis. That's Moshe Rabbeinu, who gives us this, this the uh, mezgeret, the framework within right. which to live. But Moshe sweetens it, There's chesed and gevura. Amazing. And that's what that's what a lot of our oral Torah does. It takes the black and white, either or, the justice, of the written Torah, and it blends it with compassion, with real human human situations.
0: Very good. And uh, this is the same Aharon about which it said in Avot, this is the Hevei Midav Shel Aharon, Oh Shalom, Virodev Shalom. And so we have a, a compassionate person yeah. who is that counterpart to the law giving Rabbi Moses. I think that's excellent. Yeah. So,
1: um, I guess. I'd like to just say one more thing, if we if we have time. The P.S.S. No. Rabbi writes, uh, who I quoted earlier in *Benei Tova, one of his books where he discusses spiritual practice. He compares the difference between truth and lie. He says, *emet he hamitzuyut*. Truth is reality. What we see that's real is truth. A sheker does not last forever. Only emet omedet la'ad. Truth is what endures forever. He says that a lie is like nothing, which is why we have to keep perpetuating a lie. I don't know if you've ever noticed with the human behavior, but when you say the truth, you only have to say it once. It's out there, and that's it. But when a person lies, they have to keep remembering, well, what did I say to this person? What did I say to that person?
0: Because it doesn't have its own chiyut. I think it was Mark Twain who said, if you don't lie, you never have to remember anything. And his, his
1: third prototype here, and how we understand truth, is that truth is life. He said it's from the tzad of chayim, where lie is from the tzad of death. Ooh. And when you talk about pursuing, loving shalom and pursuing shalom, we're pursuing life. We value life and life lives. Life inhabits. Life has life when it's true, when whatever we're doing is true.
0: Emmis. That's for sure. Yes. Thank you, Yiska.
1: Thank you, Howard. Wow. This was a
0: pleasure. A real pleasure. And I want to wish Shabbat Shalom to everyone. And I hope that Parshat Mishpatim will be seen from your lenses however you see them, with the inspiration that you've received from us here at Pardes. Shabbat shalom to everyone, and thank you, Howard. Thank you. Thank you again for downloading this podcast, a production of Pardes North America. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Spotify for the latest episodes of the Pardes Parsha podcast.